Good morning. Uh, I need a little prayer. Um, this is a really important message, and I can just feel in my heart that I just want an additional layer of covering that I would actually get this right, okay, what the Lord wants to do this morning. I'm telling you, just we're into some really tricky, important stuff, and I want to get this right. So uh, could you give that to him? Okay, would you pray for me? Okay, it's nice to see you. He had a little episode, so it's nice to see you healthy. Yes, it's good to be healthy. Okay, thanks. Father, we pray for the health of this message. There, it landed. <laughs> and we thank you for our brother. Lord, he has things in his heart that you've put there. I ask that you mix it with him and his talents and you bring it forth to express it in a way that this body can hear. I ask that our ears are open and our hearts are open, that we can connect with this message, that it would flow out of him, that it would be more than just words, but it would create an atmosphere that changed the hearts and the minds of the people, that caused us to grow and mature and move forward. Open us up. Let Thank us see Jesus. spiritual things more clearly that it become normal to move and flow in that realm. Lord, Thank I you. ask that you pour out this blessing in him, that he would be energized, Thank you, Jesus. that he would be quickened, that he would be able to be free and open with no inhibitions and just bring the Thank raw you. reality of what needs to be touched and handled and tasted. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise. Amen. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, to be clear, I, I still have Mark Headley praying a little bit in, uh, in a little bit, but I'm not totally sure if I'll do that or not in Mark, so thanks. And, okay, so not only did the Lord set a theme on the first through Eric and Tamara that if you've not heard, you're going to want to hear. And that I picked up last week in a sermon that if you did not hear, it's almost, it's not required because nothing would be required here, but I would say it's as close to that as you're going to get. Particularly if you're going to get out of this next season what it is that God's doing with us. So in that vein, and just to kind of catch us up a little bit, let me just say that months ago, so there's this there's a theme that God's doing right now about what people disagree with each other. But there's a larger theme that God has been doing about division and what he's doing with it. And just to sort of summarize that, in August, Eric stands before the congregation in his first Sunday, and he gets from the congregation who we are and builds this incredibly beautiful word picture. It's to, to this day, like I, I said it last week, I, every time I see it, it makes me want to cry because that's exactly the words you want. If somebody's going to describe a church, that's the word you want right there. So family and supportive and loving and growing and investing and all of these words and so on. And then what happened was, and I really believe this, and this is the tone that he's been setting now since the first of the year, and that is that what he's, and actually before that, because what he's doing is he's saying that was really true and right, and so he's saying, well done, good and faithful servants, You've been faithful over little, I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
Now, when we think he's going to set us over much, what I think we tend to think is, is this going to be all easy and peasy? And you see what I'm saying? That the next place he's going to take you is just a reward, right? And it is clearly a reward, but new things come typically at a cost, right? And so there's this principle that we've been dealing with now for a few months to where God is taking something here and in our culture, and he's smashing it. And he's not smashing it because we were doing poorly in its judgment. He's smashing it because we were doing well, and now he wants to give us more. I really believe that this is what he's saying, and this is what he's doing. And the sort of metaphor that we used last week strongly was this idea, we use graphite instead of coal, but this idea that there is this thing, coal, that is carbon atoms, and coal is useful just like that, right? You know that. You can, you can light it and heat it. It has some other effects that aren't as good, right? Environmental impact, we would call it. But the idea is, is that you, coal is perfectly wonderful and valuable and great, but is that what you want to look like? And the fact that coal flakes like it does is because the carbon atoms in that coal have what we call a weak bond. And I want to present to you that what Lake Sam has been, which I think is extraordinary, but I think that as we enter into the things that the Lord is taking us to, what he's showing us is that relative to what he's got, what we had, which seemed so strong, was actually in, in comparison, was a weak bond compared to what will happen with those exact same, you realize it's that material right there that God puts under immense pressure, immense heat, and causes an entirely different thing to come to pass. Something that is glorious. Something that is beautiful. Something that takes the light of God can come in and refract around in your personality and your soul. And it can come back out in a way that is brilliant for all to see and to marvel at the goodness of God. Not only that, but it goes from that flaky coal that's kind of dirty and gets things a little bit dirty. And it's the hardest substance known to mankind. It's the thing that cuts everything else. It's the thing that divides the line between everything else. Now, I'm proposing to you, and I'm proposing to this congregation, this is what he's doing with us. And he's not just doing it with us. He always starts in the church, but then he goes to the culture. And so I, I need to ask a question of you now. And I think if you answer this question honestly, you'll actually get something out of what we're doing today. I think if you don't, I think it'll just be one more sermon. So let me, let me just be totally, I'm not going to do a show of hands or anything like that. That would be embarrassing and I wouldn't do that. But I just want to ask you, your walk with Christ, does it feel like diamond? Or does it feel like heat and pressure? We get that in order to get to diamond, God's going to bring heat and pressure. So I get that there's heat and pressure in there. But is the spirit, is the heart that you have when you think about your walk with Christ a kind of slog, a kind of, oh my God, I wish he would just kind of, it, it, does it ever occur to you, ever, I'm not saying always, but just ever to occur to you that I wish he would just let me have that still water and green pasture a little longer, right? I mean, can't you just let me stay there for a little while or maybe like a long while? You know, that path of righteousness for your name's sake that goes through the valley of shadow of death, I get that that's important, but I'm tired. I'm, I've been through that. I've been through a lot of pressure. I'm not as black and dark in my soul as I once was. And isn't that good enough? Is, 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 you see the question? I'm, when you think of your relationship with God, does it feel glorious 
incredible does it feel like a dance with the God of the universe who's doing the most amazing things and you cannot wait for the next thing that he is freeing you from? Or does it feel like, I don't know if I can take a lot more of this. This is so much. You do realize that the stuff that's the most difficult for you is the stuff that has the potential to become the most beautiful. So is your emphasis, is it on it's the most beautiful or is your emphasis on how difficult? See it? Where are we in our hearts? And here's the truth. Everyone in here is to some degree in this area of sometimes it seems awfully difficult. All of us. It's just kind of how far along that are you? Okay? Or is it and could it be, and this is what we're going to let God do with us today, is there some way that we can get from that place to where it really just is, oh my gosh. And as he's doing heat and pressure, there's a thing in you that is rejoicing, thanking him, praising him, so grateful, so thankful for what he's doing that it evokes praise continually from your lips. Is that where you want to be? If you do, let's go down that road together. I'm going to go ahead and have Mark, but Mark, do me a favor and just keep it kind of short. But I do want, Mark, I want you to pray for the sermon, and I want you to pray for another church, too, right back here. Okay? And by the way, Mark, these guys came back from Colorado. They were here a long time ago, and then they went to Colorado and Colorado Springs, and now they've come back, and I think your commute is, what, an hour yeah. You know, it's unbelievable. And the life that you are bringing, both of you, is remarkable. And I just cannot thank you enough. So get to know these guys. They're incredible. So thank you, Mark. Father, you are good. You are holy and you are love. Um, Lord, I pray over Kurt. I pray over the sermon. I pray that you would open our hearts to hear that you would shape us and use us and pour yourself out onto this community. Uh, Lord, I lift up Redeemer Presbyterian in New York City. Thank you, and Jesus. And their mission to bring your truth to that city. Thank you, Lord. Um, Lord, may your will be done. Amen. Amen. That's great prayer. Thank you very much. So where we were last week, and we need to get to it so that we can get to where we're going, one day Jesus says to the disciples, now remember where we are, we're at the very end of Jesus' time with the disciples, so he's starting to give them final instructions, the thing he wants them to really be paying attention to. Now watch what he does here. He said to disciples, there's always going to be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting. It'd be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. And we know that wording because he talks about little children and if you cause a child to stumble, right? But do understand that it's being used here in a very different context than little children. It's being used in the context of us. And watch how he progresses it. First of all, he's saying to the disciples, there's going to be sin. There's going to be problems with you. You're, you're, you're not going to be perfect, right? There's going to be issues. And then he goes deeper and he says, so watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke that person, okay? But then if there's repentance, forgive them. In other words, restore them, right? If a person is in sin, don't just say, oh, well, that's going to divide you. That's going to separate you. That's not what I want. If a person's in sin, call them out on it. Be a loving person person. If a person is in something that's going to kill them, tell them it's going to kill them and you love them enough to tell them that, right? Care about them enough to care about them, right? 
So then, so watch yourself. Another week, we, we that person, if he comes, but now watch where he goes. Now, even if that person wrongs you, see, he makes it deeper and deeper. Seven times a day, and each time turns again, and ask for forgiveness, you must forgive. And we looked at last week that this is inhuman to ask. Okay, it sounds nice and clean when you read it in Scripture because you can read it and not think about it. But do you have somebody that offends you once or twice a day, every day? Does, is that enough to make you not want to be with them anymore? And do they come back and say, I'm really sorry? And at what point in time do you say, stop saying you're sorry? It's clear you're not because you keep doing it. Right? This is not okay for you to keep doing this to me. I'm done. Nobody's ever said that, of course. Not in this room, right? Nobody's ever had this problem. Nobody's ever had the problem of being really close to somebody, right? To where these kinds of frictions come up except the ones that are married and that have really good friends. And then you've had this happen, right? So the point is, is this is part of the dynamic of what goes on. This is something that happens. Now, there is a metaphor that we want to just bring out because it's going to really help us get to the depth that I think God wants to take us to. You know that in Scripture what it says is, is that everything that God made has his fingerprint on it, which means you can look at what he made and it will tell you who he is. Example, the universe and the size of the universe. What does that tell you about God? Big, <laughs> right? Big, amazing, glorious, beautiful. See? But now here's what I think is, I think that's probably the most important or the biggest obvious metaphor. But I think this is probably the second most obvious metaphor. And it goes like this. Here's the sun. Now, what the, what the sun does over this field is that, that crop that we eat and that keeps us alive, that crop is there because the sun is causing photosynthesis to happen, right? It's setting off rays. It's setting off something of life that is causing things to grow, to be able to be eaten, to be able to survive, to be able to be part of something more in the food chain. You see it? So the sun is an incredible metaphor for life-giving. But do you understand how the sun works? Because we think of the sun as fairly innocuous unless it gets too hot or it goes away for all winter long like it does here. But we think of the sun as being somewhat, you know, just beautiful and in the sky and it's pretty and isn't it a lovely sunny day. But you do realize that in the middle of the sun isn't, not in the middle, even on the surface, is an unbelievably violent thing that is taking place, an unbelievably traumatic thing that is taking place. And that is, that, and don't worry so much about the words that come up here, but here's what I want you to see. It was just the best illustration I could find. See, what's happening in the sun is what's called fusion. And what that is, is it's two things that are being forced together through heat to become one. Now, what I want you to see in that is, is that, that okay, I was going to do this with Julie, and then that would have been a marriage illustration, because I think that this is really true in marriage, and we're not married, okay? All right. But, but he is good looking. I got it. But, but the thing that I want to say, whether it's a marriage or not, it comes out most plainly in marriage, but, but what happens is... If you want to be a casual friend with somebody, just say hi to them on Sunday mornings. You could be that way for a long time and be nice to each other. You might even go to lunch and like each other, but that, you know, that's just enjoy each other's company and so on, the four or five of you or however it is. And you can, you can be a casual friend with somebody and it doesn't cost much, it doesn't take much, and it's not hard to sustain, is it? 
But get into a married situation, again, this is awkward. I probably should have, I was going to pick a girl, and I thought that was going to be more awkward, so whatever. <laughs> okay? But the point is, is that the closer that you come, and this is true with relationships that are not marriage. This is true with God is wanting us to be one with everyone. And so the point is, is the closer I get, the more into each other's lives we get, the more there's something that is repelling us away from each other, right? Did anybody get married and their honeymoon lasted every single day of your 30-year marriage? See? Okay, that oneness. No, it's that things happen and then it starts to divide. It starts to separate. So there's this, there's this separation that's happening. And what, what has to happen is some sort of heat, pressure, God has to come into the variable in order to get past what is repelling and make the two one. Right? Thank you. Okay? So we get that. But, but now, now watch. We're going to take the metaphor just a little further. So what happens is as these things come together to become one, what actually happens is it releases an enormous amount of energy. This is what the sun is doing right now. It's releasing all helium bombs every nanosecond, and then some. All kinds of things. It's not just, a, you know, just something about that image is just remarkable, isn't it? That's an actual picture. That's a hydrogen bomb, not an atomic. Atomic bomb is much, much smaller. We'll go into it in a sec. But the point is, is this is putting two things together and it, it races. In physics terms, here's what's actually happening. Now, this is kind of the metaphor, too. There's an energy state of one molecule and an energy state of the other molecule. And when you put them together, when you force them past what repels, when you get them past that barrier, it turns out that the energy state of the new thing is less than the this plus this. So what gets released is the energy. The energy goes out because it goes to a... Now think about that for a second. What that's saying is, is when we become one with one another, we actually go into the place that we were supposed to be, a more, a more natural state, a more relaxed state. That's what it's supposed to be. See that? And when you do that, it releases unbelievable energy. Let me just use again the, the metaphor, that, the other metaphor that we're using of marriage. When you see a marriage where two people are truly one, they absolutely love one another, what does it do? Doesn't it make you just be filled with life, hope? Doesn't it, it's, it's something that you yourself have attained, strained to attain. And as you watch that happen, it brings you life, doesn't it? You see it? So just to take this a little bit further, the point is, is this is what the sun is doing all the time. It is having these reactions and it's setting off, it's releasing this life-giving energy. Now, all of that metaphor, I hope that that brings you to a new understanding of what Jesus says in his last words to us before he dies, when he says, I pray that they will all be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you. God, one, sending out energy, sending out life. That they may be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me. The world will see something remarkable about how people can come together in God. See it? 
I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one just as we are one. Now, does that put a little different spin on that oneness? He's not, it, all of a sudden, it's not just about you being friendly and nice to one another. All of a sudden, it's not just you being really close to each other. All of a sudden, it turns out that this is what gives life to the world. When people come together, it is life-giving, and the world needs it. It's in tremendous need of it. If God, who is the three in one, that is giving off life-giving energy, decided to quit letting that energy get to us, we would die. But we're to be in his image to do a similar thing. Do you see it? We're to be giving life. Now take the contrast to this. Because the contrast is an atomic bomb where what you're doing is you're splitting an atom. See that? And what happens is, is as you split it, now this is very important to understand. When a fusion happens, the result is something that is stable, lower energy state, so it's completely stable. When a split happens, it becomes what we call radioactive. And what that means is, is that it's unstable. It's an unstable isotope. And what it does is, it goes out and it is destroying anything it touches because it is now not full anymore. It has lost something that it needs and it is cannibalizing from every atom and everything what it can in order to try and become whole again. Have you ever seen a divorce go like that? See? where it just became a reactive destructive. It goes out and it touches and, it, and it's pulling and it's, see? Now, people who have gone through this tragedy and so on, I'm not speaking any more than what the metaphor was right there. Okay, it's just a useful thought. It's important for us to know that when we separate, there's something that happens in us that is unstable, that is needing to be filled again, that is needing to be completed again. See it? So what we want the world to be is all happy. We want everybody to be dancing with each other and all oneness and everything else. But the unfortunate reality of the world is that it's an awful lot of this. Isn't it? Right? And in fact, listen to this. As far as God was concerned, the earth became a sewer. This is when, this is before Noah. There was violence everywhere. God took one look and saw how bad it was. Everyone corrupt and corrupting. Life itself corrupt to the core. Not giving life anymore, but being this destructive thing. And so because of that, God said it's over. It's the end of the human race. This violence is everywhere. I'm making a clean sweep. And the flood came in. So do you think God cares about that? What he's saying is, you were of your father the devil. We were made by God to be his children, and the fingerprint of God is things coming together in oneness, giving off life. But what we did when we fell was we became radioactive, and we, Noah killed, or um, Abel, Kate killed, Cain killed Abel, and destruction comes and follows, Right? In fact, this is what he says. You're of your father devil. You want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, and he's referring to Cain and Abel here. And has not stood in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He's a liar and the father of lies. And what does a lie do? A lie separates us, doesn't it? A lie separates. Now contrast. 
the state of the world with what God did when Jesus came into the world and did for real in the first community something that we have never gotten back to. The apostles were giving testimony with great power to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was given to all of them. This is the first church living in the fullness of Jesus Christ. For there was not a needy person among them, because all those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the proceeds of all things that were sold, and laid them at the apostles' feet. This was then distributed for each person's basic needs. Now, doesn't that seem like a diamond? You see what he did? He took a world that was in violence and chaos, that was in, that was in disintegration, and he brought it back to one in Christ that at least had a community in it that was experienced coming together to become one in ways that were extraordinary. In fact, it says about these guys that the other people were afraid. They greatly respected him because something was happening there that was extraordinary, but they feared to join him. Because I don't want to give everything up. You know, we think of it as land and property and money, but I don't want to give up myself, my isolation, my ability to be comforted and to do what I need. It already says that nobody had any needs, so we shouldn't be afraid of this. But we are. And we are as Christians. Uh oh. Well, maybe there is some work that God could do to us that would free us from something that was capturing us. A worldliness that was not letting us live in the glory and the beauty of the diamond that God has in mind for us. You see that? So how do we get there? Well, C.S. Lewis says it this way. If you do not take the distinction between good and bad very seriously, then it's easy to say anything you find in this world is a part of God. But of course, if you think something's really bad and God really good, then you cannot talk like that. You must believe that God is separate from the world and that some of the things we see in it are contrary to his will. Confronted with a cancer or a slum, the pantheist can say, if you could only see it from the divine point of view, you would realize that this is also God. But the Christian replies, don't talk damn nonsense. Christianity is a fighting religion. It thinks God made the world, that space, time, heat, and cold, and all the colors and tastes, all the animals and vegetables are, are things that God made out of his head just as a man makes up a story. But it also thinks that a great many things have gone wrong with the world that God made and that God insists and insists very loudly on our putting them right again. This is Jesus telling them. When, he, when your brother sins against you seven times in a day, but then asks for forgiveness, forgive. Is it hard? Immensely. But what's the result? How do we enter into this? How do we do this right? What God is doing is he has come to our culture and smashed it. And it's not just like Sam. It's the world. I got a question for Lake Sam. If what God did for us was because it's well done, good and faithful servant, I'm bringing you into more. Can we say that that's true in the culture? Is that where America was? That it was doing so well in God and with each other? That's a well done, good and faithful. In fact, 
this is a little thing that came out of a, Eric posted something and I really appreciated the dialogue because it was kind of what we've been talking about. How do you have a difficult dialogue and stay one? In fact, don't, don't stay one. That's not the right answer. How do you have a difficult dialogue and it makes you more one? That's what we're going for, right? Because if you don't ever have the difficult dialogue, then you can stay one easily because you're just casual. But if you're going to be intimate, you got to go after the harder thing. So I, it occurred to me at one point in that, is America going from e pluribus unum out of many one to e pluribus, pluribus disillusion, or disillusio? Sorry, it corrected. The Latin is disillusio, out of many disillusion. Is that what we're experiencing now? And if it's what we're experiencing, what are we supposed to be doing about it? So all of a sudden, this thing that God's doing about us being one inside these walls, inside this family, not inside these walls, there's no walls here, but, but inside this family, is, is he talking about that? Or is all of a sudden what he's doing is God always brings something first to the church so that they can figure out how to do it, so they can bring that to a world that is deeply in need of the salt and the light that the Christian would bring? Are we going to be his manifestation in the world as Christ was. Because if we are, then what is being said is, is all of a sudden we say something like the apostles did. They heard, you got to forgive somebody seven times. And if they ask forgiveness, forgive them. Right? They said, show us how to increase our faith. And Jesus answers in a really weird way. Listen to what he says. The Lord answered, if you had faith even as small as a mustard seed, you could say this mulberry tree may be uprooted and thrown in the sea and it would obey you. Now that, I, I could find a sermon out of that. I could make it fit somehow. But how about if we actually just take it in context and understand what Jesus actually meant by it? Because people proof text that verse all the time. But, but now watch what he says. When a servant comes in for plowing or taking care of the sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal. Put on your apron and serve with me while I eat. Then you can eat later. Does the master thank the servant for doing what he was told to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. I don't understand. We asked you to increase our faith so that we could forgive people. You told us that if we had faith like a mustard seed, we could take this mulberry tree and plant it in the sea. And then you told us that we were unworthy servants. I don't understand except it's not actually very hard to understand because here's what he's saying. You, I told you to forgive people and your response was increase your faith? He's saying, you want to know what faith is really all about? Faith is about doing extraordinary things, the kinds of miracles that God does all the time. The world in a corrupt place is disintegrating and God, from the thing that he created, from the thing that he is, which is perfection, he's bringing something from another realm into this realm that corrects the corruption that's been taking place in this world. He literally will defy the laws of physics and have an axe head float or have a storm still or have a person raised from the dead because what he's trying to do is to bring who God is into this corrupted, decaying, dying world. That's a miracle. Now here's what he's saying to his disciples, though. You don't need that. See? The, the, watch the flow of it. They say increase our faith. He says, here's what faith is for. I just told you to forgive somebody. You don't need a miracle to forgive anybody. This is what you're supposed to do. This is who you're supposed to be. Do we remember that we were made in Christ's image? 
Did we, did we remember that we were made in God's image? Right? See, all of a sudden, now watch. Okay, us becoming one is not something that we can do. That's clear. And God says it right here. Jesus says it. I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one. What does that mean? What does that mean when he says, I gave them the glory so that they can become one? What's that mean? What's the glory? Holy Spirit. I gave them the Holy Spirit who will do something in them and through them that will cause them to become like us. One. Absent that, we know that we're separated and we're going to decay radioactively, right? So that's what he's saying, but now go on. Then God said, let us make human beings our image to be like us. So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. We have been made in the image of God, and here's what Jesus is saying. Do you understand how far you've fallen? That to forgive somebody would seem like you need faith. Do we see it now? Is it, is it clicking? The light bulb needs to go on because what he's saying is, is, look, I'm going, the things that I'm asking you to do when I ask you to forgive somebody, this is who you were made to be. That's who you are. Now, you got corrupted. You got of a very different nature. And so, yes, I had to come back in and do something to bring you back to what I made you to be. Which is to say, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away, and look, new things have come. In fact, more so, Jesus answered, I assure you, unless someone is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Whatever is born of the flesh is flesh. Whatever is born of the Spirit is spirit. Don't be amazed that I told you that you must be born again. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear its sound. You don't know where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everybody born of the Spirit. He's saying, this thing that I'm talking about is not of the height, width, depth, and time dimensions that you live in. It's of another dimension entirely. It's of the spiritual dimension which you were made to be in because you were made in my image and which you have been separated from because of the fall. But you're still spiritual in nature. But you've been separated from the life, the oneness, the thing that I bring in order to bring people back together. So what, I, so what he did is he made us new. <laughs> he borned us again. He gave us an ability by making us new to do something different. And then he gave us the Holy Spirit to shepherd it at every moment, in every way, in every life. What John says is, Everyone who has been born of God, his God's seed remains in him because he's been born of God. The nature that we have is not the corrupted Satan is our father nature that is disintegrating and disrupting and causing harm. It is the one that is supposed to be bringing people and things together. Which is to say that what he's doing is he's conforming us to the image of Jesus. Right? This is what this is about. This is, now, this is just the gospel, right? I mean, you've heard this if you've been a Christian very long. But I'm trying to put it in a context here that I'm hoping you're paying really careful attention to. Because the context that I want us to get here is this. We're to be this light. We're to be this reconciliation. 
We're to be his instrument in the world to bring forgiveness, grace, love, oneness. Are we to be forgiveness? We're to be made in the image of Christ. What's the image of Christ? On the cross. For heaven's sakes, on the cross. When people are literally putting spikes into him, jamming him up, throwing him up on that cross so that he will die an incredibly painful death. His word to us is, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so God says something to us when he teaches us how to pray. And I'm not going to go through the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. But watch what is at the end of that because we say the prayer, but we forget what's at the end. Because at the end of it, with no paragraph and no new, no new chapter, what God says is, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. What, what part of that prayer do you think he's emphasizing? He's saying to ask for all of this, but he's putting a special emphasis on you really, 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 really have to be somebody who forgives. Because if you're not, if you don't forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive yours. You know, Jesus, that's one layer, forgiveness. We've just learned how to forgive. We learned it last week and we learned it now. This is the image that we're made into. This is who God has made us to be and we need to live in who we're supposed to be. And by the way, next week, be sure and be here. Josh Benjamin is going to talk and yet again in one of these sermons that God has just put together in an amazing way about who we really are in Christ. And he's going to take this whole idea and take it further in a really cool way. But for right now, I just want to say we've learned how to forgive. We've, we've seen that we're supposed to be and that we can be. And it doesn't take a miracle. It just takes you being who God made you to be. And when you're having a tough time with it, going to the Holy Spirit and helping, letting him help you through it. But then there's another level that's in there, right? Which is to say that what we're supposed to be is reconcilers. When Jesus Christ is on the cross, what is he doing? He's bringing people back to the Father. But not just that. He's bringing people back to the Father so they become new, so that they can bring people back to one another. God is not just Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one that way. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and then life-giving energy going out in order to make others one with him and one another. His prayer. This is the reaction, the chain reaction, the energy, the life that he wants to be giving off. You see it? And so what we see on that is it says, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So what we're supposed to be is people that are reconciling people. So how do we actually get that done? Well, maybe there's a little key in our verses because he talks about us in a certain way in these verses. What, what word stands out to you in that passage right there? Because always remember something, whenever you're working on the Bible and you're looking at a passage and you want to understand what the point is, if he starts repeating himself over and over, know that he never repeats himself because he's like me and he likes to talk. Always understand that he's repeating himself because he's trying to bring home a point. He's trying to get something in your heart. What's the word in there that stands out to you? Servant. Servant, servant, servant. And if you get another translation, it'll say slave. Servant and slave. Be a servant, be a servant, be a servant. What was Jesus doing on that cross? He was reconciling self how? How did he accomplish the reconciliation? Submitted himself, but there's another, there's another aspect to it. He's pouring out his life. 
He's pouring out his life for other people. Does that sound like what a servant does? See, that's the image that he's giving us. You want to be right with other people? You want to be a reconciler? You want to forgive and make people become one and do these things that I'm talking about? Become a servant. Start pouring out your life. Now, when we say this, I'm going to contrast Julie and me. Julie and I got together when we were very young. And as the old saying goes, opposites attract. Anybody who knows Julie knows about Julie, that she's extraordinary. And the more you get to know her, the more unusual you know her to be. The more unlike most everybody else she actually is. And I would have, if you had to sum up with what that is about her, and we're all unique, but if you had to sum up what's about Julie that makes people so attracted to her like this, here's what you would say. No matter what her plans were, no matter what her agenda was, no matter what she wanted, if something comes up that you need, she will drop everything and do that with her whole heart, with no regret. You know, there are some people who, from a brokenness in themselves, need people to like them and so they'll serve other people because they have a need. Julie has not that need at all. Julie does it because when somebody has something that, that they need, she just does it. She loves to do it. Brings her great joy. It's who she is. It's who she is. In a very real way, she doesn't get to take a lot of credit for that because literally, it's who she is. Now, I told you that opposites attract. So if Julie is completely selfless and willing to pour her life out at any one moment in time, what does that make me? I swear to God, I would love to have one thought that wasn't filled with self. Just one. Just at one moment in time, I'd like to have a thought like Julie did that just went, oh, I don't care about what I wanted. I'm just going to do this. I never, ever, 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 ever have that thought. You did not know me before I got saved. I think most of you think I'm actually kind of a nice guy. Most of you who know me closely know he is a nice guy and he's got a good heart, but. <laughs> and you know how selfish I am. It's not that hard to see. I'm not one of those people that is unaware. I, try, I don't ever try and put up a facade, but don't think that I'm ever deceived in myself about how selfish I am. I know that I am, and anybody who knows me well knows that I am. And it's a little maddening. It's troubling and difficult. But who's more fortunate? Julie, who does selfishness, pouring out her life naturally? Selflessness. Oops. Thank you. Thank you. Julie, who does selflessness naturally, or me, who has to come by it hard? Who's more fortunate? Think about it for a second. Isn't there a principle in the Bible that goes something like this? She got it from the table. Oh, who's Jesus? He gets up from the table, he wraps a towel on his west, and he pours water in a basin, and he begins to wash the disciples' feet. I'm sorry, I just forgot this. But drying is, so we're seeing Jesus in that, in that regard. But therefore, I tell you, this is, I, I referenced it last week, but this is, the, this is the prostitute who comes in with an expensive bottle of perfume and pours it out on his feet. And they say, that was so much money, it could have been done for something else. Now watch. I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven. 
That's why she loves, I'm going to change the tense, much. The one who's forgiven little loves much, or loves little, excuse me. God, I, I'm so glad you didn't know me before I was saved. Jan, actually, did you? I, actually, no, I think I got saved right about the time that you came in. So is there anybody in this room that knows me before I was saved? There's got to be somebody. Julie did. Uh, but she liked me at that point in time, so that doesn't count. I'm telling you, every single day, I have to get up and I have to start working against that old nature. Thank God, and I do all the time, that I have a new nature in me too that really wants to pour out for people. And I'm going to say thank God that so much of my life is actually pouring out for other people genuinely. And that's a lot. But do you understand that I have to work at it all the time? And the irony of that, the ridiculousness of that is, is that when I do pour myself out for somebody else, it's the greatest, coolest, most wonderful thing that I've ever experienced. Much better than any want I ever had in my selfishness. Any pleasure that I could have gotten from what I wanted is pales in comparison to when God moves through me and makes a difference in somebody else's life. It's what drives me. It's what makes me go, oh my God, I can't wait to get to do that, except that there's this other part of me that's saying, I can wait. <laughs> I'm happy to wait. Do you see it? Let me just show you how bad it is. I go out for a walk every morning, as I've told you, and I pray. And on my walk, I walk in, in this nice neighborhood, and it doesn't matter if it's nice. I've walked in bad neighborhoods and nice neighborhoods, so that doesn't matter. But I walk in this neighborhood, and when the trash day comes, the trash is there, and it's overflowing. And when it's overflowing and the top doesn't go down, then the birds come down, and they pick at the trash, and they pull trash out on the street, right? Now, some of that trash is pretty gross, right? Like something you don't really want to pick up. Like, what's, where's that been, right? Or what's happened to it in the time that it's been sitting out in the air, now, I almost always bend over and pick that trash up and put it back in there and try and make it to where the birds can't get to it again. Almost always. And every single time I do that, I want God to give me a star. <laughs> I feel like I did something nice for him, and now he should do something nice for me. Right? Nobody else? Just me? Thank God. Right? Right? Now what that verse says right there is, is feed the master, take care of business, and then you can sit down, but shut up and eat. Don't expect anything in return. Well, guess what I've learned, Mr. Selfish? I've learned something that I don't know the degree to which somebody who comes by it naturally can ever learn. I've learned that when I resist myself and I do this thing that God is leading me to do, that I don't need a star and I don't need a reward because the thing itself is so incredibly rewarding. It's so magnificent. It's so wonderful. It's so incredible. I am so 
thankful to God that I've got to be anywhere near what he just did. It's better. It's why I'm ruined. I could not possibly at this point, I may have to at some point, but I could not possibly go back to just taking something where I didn't get to do this every single minute of the day. And that's not to say if you're doing that, I get it and thank you for what you're doing. But I want to say, it doesn't matter if you have a job or not. And I do want to say, I was doing all this way before I became a pastor. I didn't get good at this when I became a pastor. I was doing this because in my job, I was learning how to be his hands, his feet, his witness, his heart, his love, his care, his concern, his love for that other person. And to just give myself to them, whatever it took. And it's just like the best thing ever. <laughs> There's a part passage in Scripture talking about Gentiles and Jews that says, As you once disobeyed God, but have now received mercy through their disobedience, so too have they disobeyed, resulting in mercy to you, so that they also may now receive mercy. For God has imprisoned everybody in disobedience, so that he may have mercy on all. And if you just read that passage and don't understand what it's saying, that seems really ridiculous. But if you really understand what the heart of that is, what God is saying is, whether you're Julie or Kurt, I've imprisoned everybody. I've let them experience the fall, the separation, so that when they find life, when they find the oneness, when they find what I bring, they get to go, wow. Which is exactly what Paul says next, or God through Paul, when he says, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and untraceable his ways. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Who has given first to him and has to be repaid? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. If we want to become salt, if we want to become light, no, let's change that. If you want to experience freedom, if you want to experience the most joy that you could ever have, pour yourself out. Resist the devil in you and he will flee. I must decrease that he might increase. Step into who God has made you to be. You do not have to become anything different. If you have accepted him and become new in your heart, you are already this. Step into what it is that he has done in you. Move into that and your walk will never seem like a slog again. Never. I get it. We're still falling. We're still going to mess up a little bit. But your walk will not seem like a slog anymore. And what it will seem like is a diamond. Beautiful. Miraculous, incredible, only God could have done it. Lord, in Jesus' holy and precious name, I, we come before you as a family and as one. Right now, by your Holy Spirit, how you've just made us one in this moment, we come before you as one. And what we do is pick up your cups that are in front of you, they're in the tray in front of you. Take that bottom cup. We come before you to take communion with you, which is to say to become one with you. And so in Jesus' most magnificent name, God, 
we say to you, oh God, thank you for healing us. Thank you for making us new. Thank you for taking our brokenness and not just letting us be broken, but making us whole. In fact, making us something better than we would have been if we hadn't been so broken. We are more fortunate than Adam because we are the ones who have come to know the magnificence that is your mercy, your glory, your grace, and your love. We're the ones who have entered in and we say, oh my gosh. So God, fully knowledgeable of how many ways we have not only broken in the past, but break even now. We put our finger in this cup and we break this bread, understanding how we have broken our life and then we lift it up unto you, Jesus, our loving Savior our hope if you're here and you do not know the Lord this is a magnificent time to say I've heard something of you that is new and that is important and it's, it witnesses in my heart and so I take this moment and I say I have broken my life and you crunch that too and then understand that it's Jesus that died for you to make you new it's Jesus that died for you to heal you and make you whole. So we lift that cup to come into oneness with that healing that you have brought us. And we say, thank you, O Lord. In Jesus' name, take this cup together, would you? And now in this most magnificent name of all, you who have given us a new life, that we walk in in some degree, and we don't in some degree. And to the degree that we don't, we are killing ourselves and others. So we just ask you, God, all of us together as one, make us one with you, with who you've made us to be cause us to live in the new life that you have given us. In Jesus' name, we take this cup together. Thank you. Thank you for that prayer at the beginning. I think we got there. These sermons, I wish you could be a part of I wish you could be there as I was going through them and experiencing what I'm experiencing. Literally 5 o'clock this morning as God just started opening up new and better levels of what it was that he wanted to say to us today. 